0: Welcome to the Faith at Work sermon podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. Whether we are practicing Christians or not, reading the Bible is valuable for all of us. It contains not only religious and spiritual wisdom, but it's also one of the richest sources of moral advice and teachings ever written. These timeless moral teachings are something that the world is sorely in need of today. Our faith seems to have been cut adrift from our behavior. Many of these moral teachings come from Jesus of Nazareth. In addition to being adored by Christians as Lord and Savior, and having the power to cast out demons and to heal, Jesus was also considered a moral teacher. People of all backgrounds came out in droves to listen to him. Some found his teachings comforting others found them extremely challenging. Some of his teachings he distilled from traditional Jewish faith. Many were uniquely his own. There can be no doubt that he was divinely inspired as well as intellectually gifted. One of Jesus' favorite means of communicating his teachings was through the parable. He was a master of this moral storytelling method, and today we will hear one of his classics, The Parable of the Good Samaritan, which has an important application for us. Our story is found in Luke 10, 25-36. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What's written in the law? What do you read there? The man answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You've given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell into the hands of robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite. But he came to the place and saw him, and he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I'll repay you whatever more you spend. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Here ends the reading go and do likewise. Those are always imperiling words for us to read at the end of one of Jesus' parables. Parables are full of landmines that Jesus plants to catch his critics up short, just like he did to that lawyer confronting Jesus today. And in the process, he gets them to recognize uncomfortable things about themselves. In this case, he traps the lawyer, a fine, upstanding citizen and teacher of the law, with the news that he may not be a good neighbor. Even more importantly, when we read these stories 2,000 years later, we get caught up in the same trap. If we, don't think, Jesus is talking, if we think that Jesus is talking only to the lawyer and not to us, we're just like the lawyer. Before we can understand Jesus' point in this story, we need to have more background on the characters and the context of the story. First of all, who is the lawyer who prompts Jesus to tell the story in the first place? Now, When I think of lawyer, I picture a character from Law and Order SVU, briefcase toting men and women skipping up the steps of the courthouse on their way to try a civil or criminal case. In the Jewish society of Jesus' day, civil and religious law were less distinct from one another than they are today. Religious laws, like the Ten Commandments and the other laws outlined in the Old Testament, were not just religious ideals, but enforceable laws of Jewish society. The lawyer, in this case, is concerned about what laws he will have to follow to get eternal life. You can just see the wheels in this guy's mind grinding. What's the least I need to do to get by? Jesus understood that he was looking for a loophole so he could live his life on his own terms while staying in God's favor for the next life. He was seeking a way to justify himself because he probably knows he's not living up to the spirit of the law. Now, the lawyer would have identified with two of the characters in the parable, the priest and the Levite, both part of the religious elite, who were concerned about the law's interpretation and enforcement and the rituals of the temple, more so than how they lived. Although it is not explicitly stated it is likely that the lawyer was a Pharisee, also a member of the religious elite. And Jesus was taking direct aim on the lawyer as a religious power broker, just like the priest and the Levite. The Samaritan, on the other hand, had no status in Jewish society. The Samaritans were a sect of Judaism that lived north of Jerusalem, who were not accepted by the mainline Jews. They intermarried with foreigners and were seen as half-breeds and were despised by other Jews as impure idolaters. They weren't religiously correct. The lawyer's answer to Jesus' question arises from a recital of what Jesus deems to be the greatest commandment in Old Testament law. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Which Jesus gets the lawyer to recite. Any Pharisee would know that answer. Any lawyer would know that answer. And the lawyer wants an explanation then as to whom qualifies as a neighbor. So he obviously wants to limit those to whom he extends his love and concern. And limit his own liability in God's eyes. In the parable, while traveling along the road, both a priest and a Levite pass by a seriously wounded man who had been assaulted. Neither stops to check his condition or render aid to him. The fact that the two of them respond the same heartless way in separate instances enforces that this was a common reaction among this class of religiously elite people. Interestingly, Jesus doesn't provide any information as to the identity of the victim other than that he was a man. No age, no ethnicity, nor religion. This is more than just a meaningless omission. It will become an important part of the sto- point of the story. It shouldn't matter who the man is or what his status is. We also don't know why these two reputable men men don't stop. Maybe they were in a hurry. Maybe they were afraid. Maybe they just didn't want to get involved. They could employ any of the excuses that we all use when we fail to help others who we know are in need. It is the Samaritan, the person who would normally be a bad guy in this culture, who steps up to the plate and stops to help. Now, he goes really all out. He physically helps the man by bandaging his wounds, disaffecting them with oil and wine. Then he places him on his own donkey and drops him off at an inn and pays for his long-term care. And then he promises to come back and check on him later. He could have just dropped him off and felt pretty good about himself. But he puts no limits on what he'll do for the stranger. When I come back, I'll pay for whatever he needs. Jesus has set his trap. Oh, who's the neighbor in the story, he asked the lawyer. Well, there can be only one answer. The good neighbor, regardless of his status is the one who acted and gave of himself unconditionally. Then Jesus pronounces the true purpose of this exercise in morality. Go and do likewise, he says. Jesus doesn't judge or condemn the lawyer. He leaves that to himself. We don't know how the lawyer responds. Now he could have gone away disappointed as some of those who are caught in Jesus' parables have done in other situations or maybe he has an aha moment and does go out and do likewise once again that doesn't matter what matters is what you and I do with that command go and do likewise see you and I are the one that this story is aimed at do we get it Have we learned who neighbors are and how we are to respond to them? Has this story taught us anything? Well, my observation may surprise you. I have experiences that show that most of us, at least on an individual level, are surprisingly good Samaritans. A few years ago, I was driving on a rural lane highway when I came over the hill and was the first one on the seat of a head-on accident, which had obviously happened just seconds before I arrived. A car and a pickup were both severely damaged and had ended up on opposite sides of the road, facing in opposite directions, steam boiling from their mangled front ends. I pulled off on the shoulder, dialed 911, turned my blinkers on, and got out to see what I could do. I headed to the car first, since it seemed to have sustained the most damage. By the time I reached the car, two other vehicles had already stopped and several people got out to help. One woman set out flares, which she had in her trunk and started directing traffic. The driver of the car was apparently not wearing a seatbelt. His bloody left arm and head dangled motionless out of the window. Another woman who was a nurse at a local hospital came over and confirmed what I already knew. He was dead. She and I stayed with the victim until paramedics arrived. We did the only thing that we could do. Set a prayer together for the man and the people who would soon learn of this tragedy. Others were helping out the family in the truck. Fortunately, none of whom were critically injured. Altogether that day, there must have been 15 Good Samaritans, if you want to call them that, who stopped to help. There would have been more, but the police had to keep traffic moving, and more people would have just gotten in the way. None of us who stopped did anything heroic or even out of the ordinary. Almost everyone I know would stop to render aid when there is a clear need. And especially if there's no threat to their own safety. Sometimes if there is. Yes, there are times that we just don't want to get involved. But in general, I like to think that we all possess what I'm going to call a good Samaritan gene. Few of us would stop to consider race, religion, or social status in these dire situations nor would we consider the possibility of reward or recognition. It's just what we do. We stop and help our wounded neighbor in the ditch. However, I'm not so sure that the Good Samaritan impulse is quite so strong when it comes to things like public policy and global need. On the more universal or global level, tribalism, ethnicity, race, and nationalist concerns come into play. When we're making laws and setting public policy, especially on a global scale, it's important for us to ask, who are our neighbors? Our good Samaritan gene works better when we're acting on instinct than we have time to think about it. So that's an important question for us to act with regards today to the pandemic. We sometimes overlook the fact that the word pandemic itself implies a global problem. When a virus starts spreading around the globe, there's no place to hide. And we become more acutely aware that we are part of a global community, whether we like it or not. We have billions of neighbors. At this stage of the pandemic, the gaps in the level of health care among the nations around the world is made more obvious. We know it, but it's very obvious now. While the U.S. and other developed nations are seeing lower infections, hospitalizations and deaths due to COVID in many nations are still on the upswing. In India, for example, there's a shortage of wood due to the consumption used for funeral pyres. There's a shortage of medical supplies and hospital equipment to treat those who are sick, ventilators and oxygen. On top of that, infection rates keep climbing because the access to the vaccine has been limited to this point in many parts of the world. From the US point of view, Helping provide access to the vaccine to countries like India is a matter of enlightened self-interest. That is, when we help them, we're helping ourselves. The health of our economy is dependent upon global supply chains that usually you and I as consumers aren't even aware of until we can't get the car part we need or the furniture we ordered is delayed for a year or, as in my case, have to shell out thirty-seven bucks for a single two-by-four. Also, it is to our benefit that the virus be defeated totally, or controlled everywhere, because when it continues to go unchecked anywhere, we run the risk of new strains coming to our own shores. But when we ask who is my neighbor, we aren't concerned about our own self-interest, enlightened or not we're concerned unconditionally with the other person. And I would contend that the United States has historically been known as a good Samaritan in the world community. Take, for example, when the U.S. entered World War II. True, it took us a while to come to the aid of our allies and our interests were seriously threatened by the Nazi regime and our motives were complicated. But there was also a rising sympathy for our European neighbors and the persecution of the Jews. This sympathy was enhanced by the fact that we all could trace our roots to people being oppressed. How we respond is always a combination of self-interest and altruism. The U.S. has also had a history of providing foreign aid to developing nations, When disaster strikes anywhere in the world, the resources of our country are always directed toward helping people in need. Sometimes it's hard to get it there. Once again, we do this partly because we want to curry the goodwill of other nations, particularly powerful ones when they're of strategic military or economic importance. But not being a cynic, I believe our motivation is to help our neighbors, no matter what, no matter who. Case in point, the U.S. has just authorized the purchase of 500 million doses of vaccine to send to foreign countries over the next year. No strings attached. No cost attached. Plans for the future include sharing enough vaccine to supply one-tenth of the world's population. That's an almost unfathomable undertaking. It would be impossible if it were not for an underlying Good Samaritan impulse which comes out in times of disaster. We could find excuses not to do it. Paraphrasing the state farm insurance commercial, like a good neighbor, the U.S. is there. And it's not just the U.S., We're in the process of partnering with other prosperous nations who are as blessed to be in a position to share as we are. I don't want to be naive about our motivations, but I do think that our national moral character is defined by a willingness to sacrificially help others. But where does it end? Where is the property line between me and my neighbor? with my enemy? No, not even there. There is no line. Remember, the Samaritan was an enemy. The main point of the story is that everybody is my neighbor. Although we may have complete competing global interests with Russia, China, or Iran, they are still our neighbors. Neighbors don't always get along, but ultimately we care for one another. When we have disputes with our neighbor, we try to settle them. Emerging from the pandemic has given me pause to take stock of my own motivations and how all, all of us treat one another. If anything, what I am seeing gives me hope in the human condition a willingness of us to care for our neighbors in many ways let's hope that we can as individuals and as a nation stop without reservation and care for our neighbor in the ditch without even thinking to ask now who is my neighbor amen Thank you for joining me this week. May God bless you and keep you and give you peace.